years and got here just in the nick of time. What does that make us? Big damn heroes, sir. Ain't we just? I'm so familiar with what you do. Your father invented it. I understand your influence within the prisons is unique. The answer is inside those walls, not outside. I kept my mouth shut for 25 years. I don't know what you're expecting. Now that you're back. I'm expecting adequate compensation. Tulsa. What's Tulsa? I want you to go there. The horse race, the springboard mile. There's nobody doing nothing. You can do whatever you want. Not exactly the welcome I was expecting. Welcome to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM, the film and TV radio show where a handful of film enthusiasts shoot the breeze about all things film and television. I'm Marcus E. Ako, and I think I've fallen into the Paramount Plus rabbit hole of TV shows. Hi, I'm producer Dave. Uh, I haven't fallen into any Paramount rabbit hole at all. I've just been sticking with what I've got at the moment. I don't want to expand. So, okay, so, so here's, here's, here's the reason why I say that, right? And finally, okay, I, I might even be a little bit more specific. It's not even just Paramount Plus, because Paramount, <laughs> so for those who don't know, Paramount Plus is one of the new, is one of the numerous streaming services that I have, I have latched myself onto. And I got on, I got into it because I, I got it because there was a show that popped up and I saw the adverts for it and it was oh the, the one with Master Chief. Um it, it's based on a game. Uh it's see I, I forgot the name of the of the of the show already. Uh because I didn't even get to finish it. It was I started watching it. It's not Doom, it's Metal was it Metal Gear Solid? I, I can't remember. I it, but it's one of those ones, right? Um and I I started watching it, I got halfway through. And I haven't really pulled myself back into it. And then I started thinking, you know what? There's not much that's on here. I'm just gonna cancel it. Even though they have tons of they have tons of stuff that you can watch. But I was like, I'm just gonna cancel my subscription. And then I saw Sylvester Stallone pop up on my screen. And Sylvester Stallone is in, in a new TV show called Tulsa King. I saw the advert for it. I was like, eh, it seems interesting enough. Let me watch it. Let me see what it's like. So I start watching it. And a name pops up as the creator. And the name is uh, Tyler Sheridan. And I recognized the name. I was like, okay, and I'll come back to it. So I carry on watching Tulsa King. And I really enjoy it. I, um, uh, Sylvester Sloan is great. The show is about, uh, he, he's this uh, aging mobster who has just come out of jail um, because he went to jail to protect the family, if you will, to protect his mafia family. Um, and he's come out expecting to be hailed and, and celebrated because he spent like what 20 years in jail or however long uh, but instead he comes out and it's the young ones that are now in charge 
and they send him in exile to Tulsa, right? Which is compare that to New York, where he grew up in, or where he's like, you know, King Queens or whatever. But they sent him to Tulsa, essentially going into exile. So he goes and he's a master craftsman in his head of deals and whatnot. He manages to wrangle the local business and 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 get his own crime empire started in Tulsa. It's it's a fun show. It's a good, gritty, funny type of show. So I'm watching it. The show finishes. As it finishes, an advert pops up for another show. And I recognize a face in it. Jeremy Renner, um, Kyle, not Kyle McLaughlin. Um, I think it's Kyle McLaughlin. I can't remember his name, but anyway. And Diane, Diane Veast is in it as well. And that, that, you know, I see them and I'm like, hey, it's Hawkeye. I like Hawkeye. I'm happy to watch it. And now for, that TV show is called Mayor of Kingstown, created by Tyler Sheridan. And I'm like, okay, that's the second name that's popped up. Um, maybe I might check it out. I'm not too sure. I park it to one side, so I'll try and check it out. Another advert pops up for something that we have been talking about watching for quite a while. This one, producer Dave, you might recognize Yellowstone. Ah, Do you remember uh, Yellowstone? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Created by Tyler Sheridan. And I'm like, wow, okay. So this Tyler Sheridan is popping up quite a bit. What is, you know, so I figure. I'm gonna. I, my plan is still to dive into Yellowstone at some point because, again, not only is Yellowstone up there as one of the things that I've said I want to watch because it's got Kevin Costner and so on and so forth. We interviewed one of the uh, the, the main characters in it, or the main actors in it. Um, there's another advert popping around in Paramount Plus, which is for a, a TV show called. Um, it's a mini series called 1883 with Harrison Ford and Helen Mirren and Timothy Dalton. And it's it's essentially the prequel to Yellowstone, again, created by Tyler Sheridan. So all of this is popping up like, OK, I, I've got all these things in line I need to watch. So I dive in to go watch Mayor of Kingstown. Mayor of Kingstown is is basically it's, it's a TV show. It's a gritty TV show that's set in this fictional town in Michigan called Kingstown. And Jeremy Renner or the McCluskey clan are power brokers in this town. So they are the ones who the police call to fix, to make deals with criminals and the prison system and so on. This town is known for housing five different prisons. And the way the crime operates in that town, it pretty much runs from the prison. So Jeremy Renner and his and his older brother, um, and they are essentially the mix to fix it. So they, they're the ones who people, prison advocates, they're prison advocates. P criminals will come to them if they are in trouble and they need help. They will negotiate with the police. They will negotiate with the prison guards and the prison wardens and all, just to keep the peace and so on. And it's a gripping show. It is really, really good. There are two, se they're, they're, they've just started season two. There are three episodes into season two, and this show is good. So Tyler Sheridan, Man, dude has locked in with Paramount Plus. And boy, he has me hooked. I owe him like three shows I'm going to be watching. So I've just, I've watched the first season of Tulsa King. I think a second season is coming up pretty soon. So I've watched that one. Then I, I'm now watching Mayor of Kingstown. And then eventually I'm going to get onto Yellowstone, which has about six seasons plus a miniseries. So I've got that one as well. And going back to what Tyler Sheridan has done in the past... He's an actor, writer, creator, right? So he he wrote um, 
uh, Sicario, the movie with Emily Blunt and um, uh, Benicio del Toro. Great, great film. It, it's a film about um, uh, Emily Blunt being an FBI officer who's on the hunt for, uh, he's hunting the Mexican cartel, if you will. Great film, fantastic film. Um, so just looking at his history, there's Sicario, there's Hell or High Water, which is starring um, uh, Chris Pine, Ben Foster, Jeff Bridges, and uh, Je um, Chris Pine and uh, Ben Foster are brothers going on a on a robbing spree, right? So they're robbing different banks and they're being chased by Jeff Bridges' cop or marshal or whatever. Again, great show. It's very gritty. It's set in that part of dry country America, right? So I love his output. Taylor Sheridan has got me hooked into Paramount+. Plus. I'm just, I don't know. I just had to rant. I had to tell somebody. Apparently my therapist isn't isn't taking my calls anymore. So producer Dave and everybody else who's, who's listened to this, you need to listen to what is the new bug that is up my bonnet. I don't know if that's an expression. It's Tyler Sheridan and it's Paramount Plus and they're doing the whole one episode at a time. So producer Dave, because of people like you, they're doing the whole one episode at a time thing. So now I've caught up on season two of Master of King, uh, Mayor of Kingtown and I'm three episodes in, and I have to wait till next week for the next episode. What, what is what is with that? What what is with that? Well, what you could do is save your money, cancel it, and wait for a couple of months, and then re resubscribe and watch them all as a binge. See, that would be a smart thing to do, but I worry that I will cancel it, and then I would just completely forget about it because I'll I doubt it, somehow. I really much. I very much <laughs> doubt it, somehow. I mean, knowing you, you're so organized. You've got you've got a calendar which says, "Watch this now." <laughs> I, something similar. I'm like, don't forget to go watch this. I'm stacking them up. So, uh, but, uh, are there any TV shows that you're currently watching, that you're currently binging, that are currently got a B under your body? I'm not binging. I just uh, started watching a paranormal drama called Devil's Hour. That's on I think Amazon Prime, correct? Well, I think it's on Sky, actually, but I'm not too sure. I can't remember. No, you're right. It's Amazon Prime. But... Um, yeah, um, very, 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 very good. In actual fact, it has as one of its stars, old Jamie Tart. From, uh, is he in it? Jamie yes. Tart from, um, from uh, Ted Lasso. Thank you. I knew it was, I, okay, I'm still, I'm ill at the moment. So uh, if I, I'm going through a series of diseases, I think I have a sinus infection at the moment as well. So my <laughs> brain is currently on fire. Um, Ted Lasso, I know it, it's, it, um, the lead in The Devil's Hour is Peter Capaldi, correct? That's right, yeah. But he's got yeah. one of the um, other other roles. Okay, anyway. I'll, I, yeah, I'll, I'll check that out. Mm. Anyway, you, you, you all didn't tune in to Shoot the Breeze uh, on Resonance 104.4 FM just to listen to Marcus E. Ako rant about stuff. And I'm producer Dave, listening yeah, to so, Marcus rant about stuff. Exactly. What you did was you came to listen to uh, more filmmakers talk about their stuff. So let's just jump straight in. And we're gonna in, we're gonna go through the two uh, films that are currently showing at the Paris International Film Festival, which is running from the eighth to the fifteenth of February. So if you're in Paris, go check them out. Uh, here is Film and TV News slash Spotlight. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm producer Dave. 
And with us today is the writer and director of the film, The Ringmaster. It's the short, it's one of the shorts that is in contention in the Paris International Film Festival. Uh, Please tell us your name and let's start off with what The Ringmaster is all about. Well, hello, I'm Maya Albanese and I'm the writer and director of The Ringmaster. Um, And the film is a very important personal film for me. Uh, about a young woman who runs away from her dark family life to discover a secret world of circus performers where she becomes the new muse to its enigmatic ringmaster. Um, But what it's really about is is about a woman who runs from a bad home and then she finds what she thinks is a new and better one only to find out it's quite possibly the same home. Um, is the kind of underlying meaning behind the plot. So, so the, the the classic theme of the grass is always is, is the grass is never greener on the other side, or the grass is always greener on the other side. Uh, in morale, if you will. What inspired this for you? What inspired this story for you? Uh, patterns and mirrors and cycles in all of our lives and the sort of universal human experience of deja vu, but not about small things, about the big stuff in our lives um, and how the big stuff being a gap of love or home or stability are the hardest kinds of gaps to fill because of the patterns that we have resulting from them. And um, Freud had a term for it called repetition compulsion, which is sort of the psychology behind the surrealism in the film. You're you're quoting Freud. You're bringing in some psychological themes into your into the writing. You wrote it. You directed it. Uh, how difficult was it to convey your vision across to the actors who needed to then see what your vision was and portray it in the same way that you envisioned it in your head? Hmm, I like the way you asked that question. It's, uh, I mean, with all fantasy films and world building films, you're, yeah, one of your biggest tasks is how do you articulate it to all the people you're working with, not just the actors, but also especially, you know, your creative keys, like your production designer and costume designer. And it's just a step-by-step process um, that involves a lot of uh, a lot of prep and a lot of backstory writing and a lot of, uh, visuals and pre-visualization. And, um, I think finding themes and story beats that are relatable to your actors and to all people, when you're talking about human psychology and patterns, generally they are universally relatable. So that helps people identify with the characters. And, uh, of course you start with a vision you write it, you ideate, and then you write it, and then you shoot it. And the actors bring their own special sauce to the table. And a lot of times you end up with something quite different than what you originally envisioned. Um, I think one of my favorite, you know, sayings ever is that you write a movie, you shoot a movie, and you edit a movie, and they're all three different films. Um, so it's just, yeah, you do your best to have a vision and then um you're along for the ride from there. <laughs> I agree with you wholeheartedly. The fact that um, that once you, w- when you're writing it, you're you're visualizing it 
in a different different manner, obviously, because it's in your head and the actors can do whatever it is, no matter how impossible it is, because it's all in your, your, your head. When you're directing it, you're getting people to try and replicate what's in your head as well. And that's different. So it comes out in a different style. So you might say, OK, we can't do this bit. Let's get it changed to be to look like this. And then when you're editing it, obviously something that worked in person on the day looks different on camera. Maybe an extra walked past. This is it obviously bugs me quite a lot. An extra walks past and wrecks a great monologue that's just been given. And so you have to ruin that take and do use a different take where you have to cut away. And that tells a completely different story because you've lost a reaction shot. And uh, so I totally agree with what you're saying. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm producer Dave. And we have with us writer and director of The Ringmaster, Maya Albanese. Am I pronouncing your last name correct? Is it Albanese? It sounds great. Unless you're Italian and then it's Albanese. Albanese. <laughs> Albanese. I'm a, I am one-eighth Italian, so that's okay. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, so going through the cast list of The Ringmaster, the titular character, The Ringmaster, uh, is uh, played by Sam Whitworth. So, so a lot of uh, people who are familiar, I I um, know Sam Whitworth from, no, no, but I know of him. The first time I really encountered him that really struck a chord with me was in The Mist, uh, the, 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 uh, the movie The Mist. Uh, but he's he's a prolific actor. You've seen him in a number of different things. And he's got these this charismatic stare that just basically, you don't know whether it's good or evil. And what you've just described, and from the synopsis of the movie, where the, your main character, your protagonist, Alma, is obviously becomes the muse of the ringmaster, you don't know what you're getting from the ringmaster. Tell us what it was like working with Sam. Oh, that's, yeah, Sam's great. I mean, he's he's definitely a good match for the part and we were very grateful for the short film to get him in it um i think he's got a huge body and to his voice and presence he actually works a lot as a he's a prolific voice actor as well um he plays darth maul and he's really can fill a room with his voice and his energy and his presence. And I think that is like the quintessence of what a ringmaster type character in any field or story should be. Um, they walk in the room and they lift their arms and say nothing and everyone turns around. You know, he does that in the film. And I think that that's Sam. And so that was just inherently there with him. Um, and then also the the film is supposed to have hints of like a vampire movie look feel and storyline and the feature length version of it which i can talk about later in our interview it gets into that much more but i i really wanted this to feel like maybe they're all vampires or maybe they're all dead or like you know like there's something really eerie about the circus and sam has that quality which i think you just referenced where it's like he's very charismatic and photogenic and all those things. Um, but he also, you know, has a, there's a darkness lurking there that feels uh, vampirish. And I thought um, he could play, he would be someone I would cast to play Dracula. And so he's someone I would cast to play the ringmaster. Um, it, it's, uh, again, he's, we've just said how prolific he is with, with a lot of stuff. And you're absolutely right. Um, uh, Darth Maul, is the voice he he um he's known for, for in a large portion of the Star Wars kingdom. They 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 love him as that as as that character. 
Um, I, every time I see him, I know I've seen him in things like Supergirl. I think it was in a couple of episodes of Grimm. Uh, and he always plays that dark brooding character as well. Um, and I, I, I think he has been in a couple of vampire movies. If not, you're absolutely right. He does fit the kind of character that would be you would see as a as a vampire. Um, Dracula being one of them that you're is, is that is that a is that a thing? And maybe we can touch on this in later in, in later questions. Is that something that you're thinking of working on? Maybe a Dracula movie that you want to put him in that character, or is that just a thing that you were saying? Hey, if anyone's doing a new Dracula movie, here's your guy. <laughs> well, um, I would love to be part of making a uh you know vampire or transylvania centric film in the future um it's not in the cards because uh my hope with the next big project is to make this as a feature length which is sort of a proxy for a vampire movie already um there are two different uh dracula or you know nosferatu movies being made right now by uh directors i absolutely adore <laughs> so um I think for me to do a vampire film with Sam or in general would have to be uh, one that I felt was filling some kind of gap that hasn't already been filled since there's so much of that out there. And I think a really interesting thing people are doing, actually Bones and all the recent Luca film was really an interesting version of like, not a vampire fil film, but creating sort of a new genre of vampire film where it's like, what are the rules of this world where people eat people um which That's i thought timothy chalamet film right yeah it's it was probably like the most interesting thing about it to me was how you could sort of take a vampire film and layer it over the cannibal film and see how like a genre of films was started like in the beginning there were rules created of like what repels vampires what how do vampires operate and, you know, the eaters and bones and all are like that. And so I thought that was a really good example of not a vampire movie, but building upon vampire culture in a way that was inventive. And so that's the kind of film I'd want to be a part of probably more likely than like another Dracula movie. Okay. Uh, and it seems we, we, we moved a little bit further into the, the gothic side of your oeuvre. I mean, looking at the work that you've done, because uh, you, you, you've you've done this short, you've done a couple of other shorts as well. Uh, what stands out for people who are just coming to find your work for the first time? What makes this one stand out compared to the others? I'm thinking one of the things that jumps straight to mind is Freeze, which uh, is it, it. I would say completely, it's a total total shift in terms of movies. So uh, just to tell us a little bit about the difference between this one compared to the previous work that you've done, why you decided to make that shift. And if you think you're, you're, if you're playing around with genres or if this is the kind of thing that you want to do. Ooh, I like that question to like have to articulate that. It's, um, well, the things I'm interested in that I feel are quite translatable and similar between all my films and especially Freeze is using, I mean, I'm interested in fantasy and um, surrealism. So the cinema fantastique, since we're talking about Paris Film Festival and uh how that is a means to illustrate human psychology and, and sub subjectivity in filmmaking and point of view. And so um, I think all my films are and will continue to be quite psychological. And 
uh, the magical realism, surrealism, and fantasy elements are just a means for illustrating that on screen. So with Freeze, it was the psychology of being a woman in your 30s running out of time with your biological clock ticking to have children and all the pressures on you during that period, which is is truly like it's a spectrum for women, but it it can feel like a fantasy horror at times. And then with the ringmaster, it's the psychology of someone who has buried trauma and is repeating patterns and how that puts rose colored glasses on them or creates uh, an inability to see uh, be aware of what they're doing or red flags around them and boundaries and all these things. But I think in all cases, um, whether it's comedy or a thriller or a horror, I'm interested in human psychology and, um, surreality and, uh, fantasy, but also there's this like a dark element to all my films. Um, even my comedies have like a darkness or an edge to them. Uh, in the UK, they're probably just normal, but in America, they'd be considered dark. <laughs> but uh... that is pretty spot on. It's literally <laughs> dark humor is the or black humor is the British baseline. So uh, you check out The Office, uh, check out uh, Faulty Towers, black humor. That's exact. That's our that's our baseline. Well, that's why I love the Brits and why I like living over here, because I feel normal here. <laughs> Excellent. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm producer Dave. And we have with us the writer and director of The Ringmaster, Maya Albanese, who is telling us about her short film, which is in the Paris International Film Festival. Speaking of which, how did you come to find out about the Paris International Film Festival? Uh... That's a good question. I think uh, I, because I've been living on and off in Paris and um, speak French and went to university here, I've had a relative awareness to all the festivals going on here and am interested in having my work be seen uh, and understood by the film community here. So uh, I think just through, you know, being here and word of mouth and things, um, I haven't ever had a film at this festival before, though, or attended it. So I'm very excited. This is the first time I'm playing this film uh, and also in France. Uh, so it's very exciting to me. It's like my second home, maybe soon to be first home. So it feels very befitting. That's fantastic. I mean, it, with, um, I mean, I appreciate about you. You've got a question in the chat. Go for it. As you said that you've um, lived in France uh, for on and off for a period of years, I just wondered, is the film bilingual or is it just in English with French subtitles for the French? So really uh, something we're debating a lot with the feature length version, with the short, actually, it it was shot in the U.S. It's all in English with a little bit of Spanish because the family is, is Latinx. So um, in the short that we'll be playing at Paris Film Festival, you'll see an English language film with bits of Spanish and French subtitles burned in. Uh, for the feature film, which I plan to shoot in Europe, there's a little bit of French speckled throughout, but it's primarily an English language film. So we're kind of trying to do one of those, um, you know, Hollywood, Europe kind of co-pros where English language actors coming from all different countries. So it's currently a trilingual film, if you will, because you have <laughs> Spanish, English, 
and uh, and French subtitles in there. So that's great. And then when you move to uh, Switzerland uh, and, and so on, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll stop right there. Um, so you are talking about the fact that you've done this as a short, and I was going to ask what's the future, and you've obviously you've mentioned a couple of times that you're going to expand and make it more of a feature-length film, uh, and you've kind of given us a, really, a little bit of a hint as well, where you're saying you're going to make it more Eurocentric. Uh, is that the case? You're going to expand more. Uh, which characters in particular are you going to focus? Are you going to focus a little bit more on Alma and her, pre, uh, her history, or are you going to dive into the Ringmaster and that history or the culture of the circus as it is what you give us some hints as to how you're going to expand the story oh well all of the above um yeah so the short film plane was meant to be created to play as a standalone short uh as it is going to at the film festival but it is primarily a proof of concept to sell a much larger feature script that I've already written um, and that I'm hoping get starts to get some traction next week at the festival and going onwards over the next six to 12 months. Um, the it's probably been submitted primarily to European festivals, although, of course, all the heavy hitters in North America with a focus on genre festivals, too. And the story uh yes the story of course is Alma's journey it's from her point of view and her subjectivity and lack of reliability at times as a narrator kind of you know going uh deteriorating in a similar way to Black Swan and movies like that so it's it's very much about Alma's journey uh facing a trauma that occurred to her in childhood that has long been buried um but in you know, a hundred pages, the circus world is built out way more. There are stage performances. Um, the biggest characters, of course, are the ringmaster, uh, Rita, the dancer, and Felix, the, ma the magician, um, are the main characters who we get a little more sort of backstory to and have deeper relationships with Alma, the lead character. Um, and yeah, it's kind of a, the whole thing is meant to be a mirror between two worlds, the real world and the circus world. And in the feature, you get a lot of back and forth and mirroring between the two worlds that you don't quite get a ton of in the short because of total runtime. But I think you get a glimpse of it in the short and then it's just built out much more in the feature. That's excellent. And for the feature, when you start casting, if you're looking for a, a, a person of color who exudes mystique and um, a mysterious nature, Producer Dave is right there waiting for you. So uh, yes, feel free to just give us a shout, and we'll we'll I'll make him available. He'll be there for to, to audition for you. Um, so what are you thinking? It was going to be you. You're pitching yourself. <laughs> uh, I, I, I was going to pitch myself, but I was like, nah, the misdirect is probably best. Uh, so uh, <laughs> the short for the Ringmaster is currently playing at the Paris International Film Festival. When can people get it? When is it going to be shown uh, at the Paris International Film Festival? It's showing at 11.30 a.m. at Cinema Champo in the Cartier Latin. Um, it is 14 minutes long, and it is the precursor to a medium-length film playing immediately after it. Um, so Saturday, February 11th at 11.30 a.m. Fantastic. 11, uh, at, at 11 a.m. on the 11th of February, uh, you can go and catch The Ringmaster. You check it out. You let us know what you think. We'll give a shout out to Maya. Maya will say, yes, fantastic. Go and watch it. And obviously, we'll, we can't wait to see the feature-length movie uh, when it comes out. Hopefully, some of us will be appearing in it. 
Uh, producer Dave, eyeing you up. That's good. Uh, Maya, thank you very much for sitting with us and having a conversation. We appreciate it. And feel free to come back on the show whenever you want to publicize any of your projects, either this one or future ones. All right. Thanks for having me. It was great fun. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm producer Dave. And we have with us the director and the writers and the star of the film Little Jar, which is currently or is going to be playing at the Paris International Film Festival. I'll let them introduce themselves and explain what the film Little Jar is all about. So whomever likes to go first, feel free to take it away. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for having us. Um, my name is Kelsey Gunn. This is Dominic Lopez. Hello, we co-wrote uh, the feature film Little Jar. Um, I was also the actor, the principal actor in it, as well as a producer. And Dominic also was the cinematographer. I'm just speaking for him, my yeah, client. That's how she does it. I, I direct it and I'm a cinematographer, so I film the movie myself. Uh, yeah, we, we wrote the movie in the height of the pandemic and lockdown when we were, we're both from Los Angeles, so we were stuck in a, you know, a one-bedroom apartment or flat, as you say, um, and we were very bored and missing our friends, so we essentially wrote a movie about friendship, uh, but that friendship just happens to be about a woman who hates people and misses connections, so she befriends the next best thing she could find, which is a dead mouse in her apartment. And it does, I mean, it, okay, so we're, <laughs> I, where to begin with this? <laughs> so, it's, uh, so the film, uh, it, it, so, okay, so as you said, it's set in the height of pandem the pandemic, the uh, in the COVID pandemic, as in just at the start when people start getting sent to, sent home. And at the, at the very beginning, you're already seeing your character, Ainsley, um, not wanting to be in the office and gets this brilliant Christmas gift of you can go and stay at home and not have to worry about anyone and the joy on your face as you gallop home. Uh, so <laughs> we, we, a lot of us have been through that situation where you know you know, we've been through the pandemic where you've been told you're going to be working from home and it's great, uh, but things tend not to work out that way. I'll, uh, Kelsey, I'll throw to you as you play Ainsley. Uh, tell us more about your character, um, where your character is coming from at the start of the movie. And how we progress into it before we get to the friend that you that you meet during the, yes. the pandemic. We'll get to that point in a second. Let's go with that. I love it. Ainsley is a bit of a misanthrope. She is a bit of a hermit. She does not like she does not like people as much as she just loves her solitude. She loves the little life that she's built in a cabin in the woods, where she doesn't have to deal with the daily monotony of of the people around her that she doesn't find you know, interesting or fulfilling to herself. Um, I think we've all at different times in our lives found ourselves in jobs or situations where maybe we weren't exactly enthused to be around the people that we were near. And Ainsley is the epitome of that. She just really would much rather be alone. She'd much rather, so the moment that the, the lockdown happened for her, it was like you said, it was a Christmas miracle. She got to go home. She got to just live her best life and do everything she wanted to do all alone without the like daily drawl of of people that she didn't have any interest to be around. Uh, yeah, we understand that perfectly. Producer Dave <laughs> is extremely happy that he doesn't have to be in the same studio with me. 
Um, and if, if, if Zoom were when invented, he would use that as an excuse for us no longer to do this show. But, uh, <laughs> I'm saying but nothing. <laughs> he looks, he looks it, perfectly happy in his basement. Exactly. <laughs> he, he, is, he is cursed to be bound to me for the, for the last five years, so that's great. Um, okay, so you, you both wrote this, uh, this film together. Dominic, uh, obviously, as you directed it, do you share any characteristics of Ainsley's of being a misanthrope and wanting to keep away from other people, or was that just purely a Kelsey? I guess yes and no. I think we both kind of were pretty similar in our characteristics. I think part of it was, you know, you we you live in a city that's very you know hustle and bustle, and everybody says it's a Los Angeles kind of attitude. We're like, we should get coffee, we should get lunch, we should do brunch. And you hear this over and over again and you kind of, you know, it, it gets to be a lot sometimes because you're always trying to catch up with people. And so I think going into the pandemic, we really liked the idea of, and, and not to say that it was easy for everybody, but there was a part of us that thrived in the beginning. It's like, it was just a, it was a chance for all of us to just kind of turn off. And slow down. Exactly. And just relax a little bit. And I think that's where the initial impetus part came. And then as we were writing, we quickly realized all oh, that we really missed was just seeing the friends who we were actively, not necessarily trying to avoid, but, you know, pencil in into our schedules. And so, and that's really where she kind of came from. And then, uh, you know, my, my, my mother is from Germany. So growing up as a kid, you hear a lot of really weird, dark fairy tales, you know, Germans love, you know, stories about, you know, little boys who suck their thumbs and they get cut off. Right. So, <laughs> so I think, that's kind of where the the darkness of having a dead mouse as a friend kind of came into it, um, which I know you said we get to, but it's it kind of leads into that. It was very much um, I think we just we just missed we just missed the friends that we had. It can be very difficult in a big city to make a tight friend group, and we just missed those people so much. And because we missed those people so much, we needed to express that in some way. And we had each other to look at uh, during the pandemic, and we kind of thought, well, that's a lot. Why don't we write <laughs> something down instead so we don't have to speak to each other so much every day? And that's kind of where it all came from. That, I mean, yeah, uh, I mean, you've kind of already given the inspiration as to where the dead mouse came from, but we can talk a little yeah. bit more about that in just a second. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm producer Dave. And we are here with Dominic Lopez and Kelsey Gunn, the writer, director, star of Little Jar, uh, which is currently, which is going to be playing at the Paris International Film Festival, uh, which is currently running from the 8th of February to the 15th of February. We're going to talk about when the film is, is playing. Uh, I want to dive a little bit more into the technicalities of actually making this film. So, uh, Kelsey, want to uh, go through, I know obviously we, as an actor, you get to bounce off various other actors and you get, res re you know, responses from them and you know how, you know, you might say a word in the script at a certain point and you get a different reaction that comes from someone. So, you know, obviously, okay, they've, back, they've made that spin to it, means that you can add this emphasis or lean in this way. Tell us what it was like with the mouse. Really great. <laughs> um, it, was, no. it was horrifyingly challenging at first. You know, uh, we wrote for the specific time we were in, right? We wrote at a time when we didn't know as filmmakers if, I mean, there was that, that brief moment where all of us were like, is the world going to exist? Are we going to get to make films again? Is this actually the end of what we do for a living as we know it? 
So we wrote within the like constraints of of being COVID safe at that time. And what we what we basically could write to was me alone in a room. And then we were like, dear God, we have to have me talk to someone or something. And hence the mouse. You know, it was the most challenging thing because like you say, I also come from a comedy world. So for me, it's a very like yes and world. I, I love to communicate with other actors. I love an ensemble. I love to feed off the energy of other people. I come up like originally from theater, which is also feeding off the energy of other people and taking so much of my performance literally as just receiving from other, you know? And so the fact that I had to talk to something that was an inanimate object essentially and endow it with a personality um, was very, very challenging at first and also really kind of cool and rewarding because I could kind of in my imagination just decide that there was an inflection and it give a different take or a different read. Um, it was actually the epitome of controlling as a type A person because I got, I got to like tell my other actor what they were thinking and doing in a way. Um, and honestly, Dominic was super helpful because what you don't see in the actual movie is we had full dialogue with the mouse that we don't um, have on camera. But just to give me something to work off of, he often behind camera would read the lines we had written for the mouse. Um, and then I was able to act off of him via the mouse. That's absolutely fantastic. I mean, it's a it's a great idea to be able to use that. I mean, in a sense, even though the audience aren't see aren't going to listen to aren't going to hear the mouse is part of the conversation, you get to hear it, and as such, you get to react off of it, which is great. It helps you as the actor. So it's a it's a nice uh, ingenious trick that I, I think uh, a lot of people who are trying to do the same sort of movie would have an idea as to how they can get that out of their actors. Dominic, um, what sort of, what influences did you have going into this movie? You both sat down and you decided you're gonna write this script, uh, but then, as you said, you're the cinematography, you're the director. Uh, what ideas, what other previous work, either yours or your influences, uh, popped into your head and just said, oh, this would be great to do it like this, or even just say, nope, I'm gonna try and keep it as clean as possible. What inspired you for this? Yeah, so from a technical standpoint in shooting, we knew that, um, you know, we wanted to use a lot of wide lenses for Kelsey's coverage because that would be the mouse's POV. And you would imagine that a human, when you're a two-inch mouse, uh, would be pretty large. So we thought wide lenses for her. And then anything when you're looking at the mouse would be, you know, 50, 75 millimeter for, you know, other film buffs or cinema buffs out there. You know, we would use tighter lenses for the mouse because that would be closer to her POV and how she could isolate them. Uh, and then in terms of aesthetic and style, you know, I think uh, Amelie is a huge influence on me, uh, on me, and it always has been a huge influence of mine. And then, you know, uh, the the part of Castaway that I liked the most was Wilson. It was, I thought it was one of the most interesting parts of the movie. And I thought they could have, you know, I felt they could have dived in more into that story. Uh, and, you know, when he floats away in the middle of the water and, you know, and heartbreaking has that moment crying out for a ball, it just stuck with me. Um, so I think it was, you know, when we first started writing it, it was very much in the background. And then we quickly realized what we were making. And and then we thought, let's lean into it. But a lot of it, you know, like I said, I have, she's got a weird German grandmother. That's where the weird mice come from. Because Those are my childhood toys. Like, Germans are weird. I say that as a German. We're weird people. <laughs> um, but it was, you know, very much like you have, um, 
it, it, it was a weird thing where like my grandmother just had all these weird taxidermy animals in her house and and her grandmother gave her taxidermy animals as pets and toys and so yeah it was kind of this weird you know it was this it, it, it was just it was just this weird mix of influences that we had seen that were baked into baked into who we were as creatives um whether we were aware of it or not and i think that's kind of what all how it all kind of came together Excellent. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm producer Dave. And we're speaking with the filmmakers behind Little Jar, Dominic Lopez and Kelsey Gunn. Uh, would you describe, I mean, I, 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 if you were asking me, I would describe this film as a quirky comedy. But no one's asking me. I'm interviewing you guys. Kelsey, what would you describe this movie as being? Absolutely. A quirky, like, dark comedy uh, I think it's 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 a film that really centers around friendship, the and the desire for connection, um, and how we're all essentially hungry for connection, even in the weird weird worlds that we all live in. Um, I think with technology, with COVID, with everything that's happened in all of our lives, I think connection is harder and harder to come by, and so how people find it is, you know, really up to us all individually. It's funny you actually mentioned about the hunger for connection uh, going into, and I'm not going to spoil uh, much about, I'm not going to spoil anything about the movie because uh, I, I think people should definitely go and watch it because even though you've gone through COVID as we all have, it's great to kind of remember things. That's immediately what I was thinking when I was watching it. I was like, oh, wow. Yep. I remember that situation when that happened. I remember what happened. The, 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 for me, there was a horror scene pretty early on in the film when the internet goes out. And I was just thinking there would be murders in my house if that had happened. So it's it's just, I was like, okay, yep, no, I remember that. And it kind of was a little triggering. Um, but the one bit that kind of really got to me, I, I chuckled a little bit too much, was the fact that you could tell she was, she, she, she was now losing touch with reality. And she knew she wanted company and she wanted to, desperately to speak with someone. And then she looks out the window, she sees her neighbors and she's like, nah, it's okay, it's nah. fine. <laughs> it's all right, I'm, I'm okay, it's okay. Uh, so, and I wanted, I wanted to ask, because I've heard that, I've heard that conspiracy theory, but I haven't dived into it. What is the, the, the birds? What's with the birds? It started as, a, uh, as an ironic conspiracy theory that all birds are drones and they're not real. And yet somehow just like, the flat earth theory that has also now it's it's grown legs and now people believe that birds are drones and no bird is real and so that's kind of where it came from we liked you know we understand that everybody has their own opinion as to how covid you know how covid developed and, and where it came from and we know what's real and we know what's not and so we were kind of poking fun at the people who you know find a conspiracy and everything and we thought that they're not necessarily bad people, which is why the neighbor character isn't a bad person, but he's very gullible to these types of things. So that's why he says certain things in the in the film. It was a fantastic way to introduce the character without it's it's kind of like that new meme thing that's going around on YouTube or in TikTok, where it's tell me you're this without telling me you're this. And it's sort of a great way just to explain the character. And hence tying into the bit where when she starts to stress out and she looks out the window, she sees all of them. She's like, nah. It's like, you've already experienced it. The fact that he talks about the birds as he's walking in, he's like, no, I, I get it. I totally, I totally get it. I wouldn't go out there either. Yeah, it's like, um, I'm good. I, I don't need to. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> and another thing is, is I wanted to ask you, I had loads of notes I wanted to ask. It was about Marvin. Um, yeah. Okay, so tell us about Nicholas Anthony Reed. Um, yeah, let me, let, you talk to us about him and then I'll say something that popped into my head the moment he showed up. Shameless, shameless plug, because Nicholas Anthony Reed is one of the best actors anyone could have on a project. Um, he's a dear, dear friend of ours, and we've made other projects with him. Um, he's one of those people that I swear he'll be famous in three seconds, and I will use him, or I will cast him in literally everything until I die. He is such an actor's actor, such a brilliantly trained actor, um, and such a giving individual to play with. Um, I met him years ago and like I said we put him in a ton of stuff and when um, COVID hit it was funny actually the lockdown happened and we were actually filming a short film starring Nicholas uh, the night that the lockdown hit in Los Angeles and we basically looked at him and we were like well if this is actually going to happen and we might write something would you be comfortable being in it and being the person he is he was like yep sign me up let's do it. He was shooting um, Dear White People, uh, the Netflix show at the time. And then they were like on hiatus for this like slim little moment in time, which was amazing because on the show they shaved his head, but his hair grew because they were on hiatus. And we were like, oh my gosh, don't cut your hair. We love your hair for Marvin. Like it's perfect. And so it was one of the scariest things because the show picked back up and they're like, great, you got to come in and cut your hair. And we were in the middle of shooting with him. And I was like, wait, can we like wrap up your character? I was like, I don't like, please. Um, he's just literally the best. And I, I couldn't think of a better counterpoint for Ainsley. Um, I, we, in the beginning of all of this really wrote because we didn't know where the industry would be by the time we were able to film. Um, turns out that we were kind of still in a very scary place when we filmed. And so we kept him always outside and kept us always distant. Um, but he's such a trooper and such a genius. And ah, I love him. Nicholas Anthony Reed, everybody. Cast Nicholas Anthony Reed. <laughs> he, he, he was he was fantastic when he showed and as soon as he showed up. And I, I'll be perfectly honest, when he showed up, I was like, Keegan Key, Michael Key's in this because he had the mask on, and, you know, and I was like, and then he took the mask off, but I was like, that's not Keegan Michael Key, and he has hair. So it was just, it's, and straight away I was like, okay, I'm gonna do research, find out if he's related. But he was, he was, he was awesome. He was on point. I loved his energy about him. You're absolutely right. He was a complete opposite uh, to Ainsley's character, the, the perfect foil. So that it, it was, it was a, it's a very, it's a highly enjoyable film. Um, and speaking of which, what you mentioned, Dominic, you mentioned one of the in, uh, inspirations was Amelie, French film. You're now in Paris, right? Mm -hmm. so, uh, so for the Paris International Film Festival, which is running from 8th of February to the 15th of February, uh, run by our friend Jenna Su, fantastic filmmaker and festival director. Uh, tell us how you heard about Paris International Film Festival first. So at the very beginning of, I'm not even joking, the moment we started writing this, because Amelie is also one of my favorite movies of all time, and we just both had a love for it. Um, I, it was one of those things, the moment we wrote the first version of the script, and we went through several versions, but the first version, I was like, this has got to go to Paris. Like, I immediately wanted to go to Paris. I immediately wanted it to go to Europe. I feel like the the, the dark humor that seems to cut through Europe made a lot more sense for the kind of filmmaking that we really like to make. 
Um, and so it was one of those moments where as we were kind of going and, and you know, you have to be selective when you're uh, choosing festivals because you can definitely go down a rabbit hole of submitting to everything and getting into nothing or getting into everything. You never really know. We were very, very lucky and we had our world premiere at the Austin Film Festival. And then we were really lucky to have our Canadian at the Whistler Film Festival. And then right after that, I was like, I just really want to take it to France. And it was just, I found it and it was, it kind of seemed like this little diamond in the rough. Um, and and then we submitted and got in and I've, he's never been to Paris. This is his first, first time. Um, and I am obsessed uh, with Paris and it was the first country I went to out of the United States way, way, way back when. And so I've kind of had this like, ever burning love for it. Um, so I was just really, really happy to bring it here and to share the city with him and share the movie with a French audience. Yeah, and it's it's helped because Jenna's been fantastic and she's been a real fan of the festival. And it's, you know, you, you can't of beat that, you know, when I'm sorry, of the film, yes. And so when, you know, when you have somebody who really likes your movie as much as you do, it just holds a much more special place in your heart and it makes you want to share everything about it with them. Of course, Jenna's, Jenna's, she's a filmmaker herself and she's a wonderful person. She's going to make you feel the most comfortable in Paris. Uh, we were supposed to be there. Uh, unfortunately, producer Dave uh, couldn't get his act together, so we couldn't get there. Uh, Dave. But we're planning. But, but I don't think Dave. <laughs> yeah, we're, pl we're planning. It's wonderful how I get blamed for everything. Isn't it? <laughs> Poor nobody Dave. Can, nobody can prove the opposite, so I'm just. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know. <laughs> You're back living in space, uh, I get it. <laughs> So it's Little Giant, it's playing at Paris International Film Festival. When is it going to be airing for people who are going to be there to go watch it? Um, so we're, we're uh, Saturday at 11.30 a.m. We're doing a little matinee there. Um, and then hopefully, if you can't catch it at the festival, hopefully we'll get it. We have a worldwide distribution deal coming in likely April, maybe May. Oh, fantastic. That's, that's that's amazing news. So have you already got that locked in or it's going to be potentially signed and whatnot? Yeah, we already have it locked in. Then it becomes okay. a delivery schedule kind of thing. So we're <laughs> hoping that, you know, early April, early May, somewhere around there, the movie will be available for purchase, video on demand. And then um, potentially, although I, I, well, I can't say for sure, but potentially some limited release in theaters, but not exactly sure where yet. That's fantastic. A, a lot of the filmmakers that we speak with, because they're usually starting the festival circuit, it's usually, we're not sure yet. We can't say much and whatnot. So it's great to actually hear that you've got something locked in. Congratulations uh, on, and we, and we we definitely hope everybody gets to see this film and just reminisce on how crazy 2020 was. Um, some people, again, might figure, no, I don't want to be reminded about it. Um, and in fact, I do, I, that was another question I wanted to ask. Um, as, as a failed filmmaker myself, I want to do a film about COVID just slightly after COVID. Uh, and one of the reactions I was getting was a lot of people saying that nobody wanted to watch a movie about COVID because they were going through it. Did you go through that experience? And if you did, yeah. how did you overcome it to just power on well, to make this film? It's one of those things where as we actually made the movie, we quickly realized while filming that people might get exhausted by the idea. So when you watch a movie, you realize like we never say COVID. It's not actually a COVID movie. The, the premise keeps me inside. There's a virus, it keeps me inside. But it's actually a friendship movie and it's a movie about mental wellness and friendship and connection and how in like uncertain times, how you need other people or you need something as an outlet. Um, because 
it was birthed in that time. So it's kind of hard to get away from that stigma, but ultimately you're not going to watch it and be like, ah, I'm in a COVID. I'm not, you're not going to feel like you're in a COVID situation. I hope anyway. I think, you know, I think the thing about making a COVID movie is you just have to reach deeper, Mm -hmm. right? There's COVID was a circumstance that we all went through and it was detrimental for some and beneficial for others, but there's always, you know, there's always a subtext, right? There's always something underneath it. And if you can just dive a little bit deeper, which is what we try to do by making it a friendship movie and and the loss of connection, then, you know, I think if you're trying to make a a kind of pandemic lockdown movie many years later, I, I think you can be very successful with it. It's fantastic to hear and congratulations on all your success. If people wanted to follow you, follow the film, what social media tags do you have that you can share with us and we can share with everyone else? We definitely are on Instagram. Uh, we have an Instagram little jar movie um, at Instagram. You can also find littlejarmovie.com if you want to find any updates or any screenings that are happening. Um, you can also find us individually. Uh, I'm Kelsey Gunn, uh, K-E-L-S-E-Y-G-U-N-N. And Dominic underscore Lopez, D-O-M-I-N-S-E underscore L-O-P-E-Z. Fantastic. We're going to be following you straight after this uh, interview. And we wish you all the best. Drink lots and have a lot of fun on our behalf in Paris. And we hope when you go and get this done and distributed, you can come back on the show and talk to us a lot longer, a lot more about all your projects so we can go from there. We would love that. And those were the filmmakers that uh, we are championing for Paris International Film Festival this year. Fantastic uh, films. I, it, so far, just loved talking uh, to to all of them. Uh, I really enjoyed talking to Maya, Albani, Albani, Maya Albanese. So, uh, yeah, the Italian in me, the one-eighth Italian in me is Maya Albanese and the ringmaster, uh, as well as talking to Dominic Lopez uh, and Kelsey Gunn about Little Jar. That, it's a great film. It's very, very quirky, funny film. Definitely go check it out if you're in Paris uh, when you get the chance. Uh, this has been Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I want to thank everybody for taking time to listen to me rant about uh, Taylor Sheridan and Paramount Plus and all the TV shows that I want to watch, like Yellowstone, which I will eventually get to watch at some point. Um, we should watch it. We should binge watch the whole show and then call... Um, I, I, oh, what's I've, I, it's his name has slipped my mind. Um, do you remember Denim? Yes, Denim. Um, Denim Richards. I remember Denim Richards. That's the one. I remembered his. That's the one. Yeah, Denim Richards. I remembered his name was was something like Jeans. So we should binge watch the entire show and then give him a call and say, "Hey, we finally watched Yellowstone." <laughs> and he's like, who are you? <laughs> I always told you like four years ago, but you know, you no, 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 no. We, yeah. we we basically ask him about what he's be what he's been making first, and then say, oh, by the way, we've now caught up with. <laughs> Absolutely, that's see, that's the that's the that's the polite way to do it. So yeah. Uh, yeah, so we'll reach out to him and then say he's still on the show, uh, from what I see. So that's good. We'll do that. Um, also, want to thank uh resonance fm for again just being so irresponsible and not listening to us because we are dirtying up their airwaves with our rants and our stupid comments and whatnot continue doing what you're not doing which is policing us 
Uh, we really appreciate it. Thank you all very much for everything that you do. Everybody, listen when you're listening to us. Go and listen to other shows on Resonance FM. Go onto their website. Donate because they're a charity. They're doing good, good work. They're doing the Lord's work. Go help them out. Listen to their show. Message them. Say, well done. Keep not listening to Shoot the Breeze. You have been listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance FM. I have been Marcus E. Ako. I'm still producer Dave. And thank you very much for listening. I'll speak to you all next time. Goodbye. I want to try and get Taylor Sheridan onto this show at some point. That's what, that's, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try it. In the next five years, I'm going to try and get him onto the show and, and ask him more about all the shows he's doing. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>